0: You can sign up on my website, zibbyowens.com, under the virtual book club section, or even on Instagram under the link in my bio. I hope you'll find me in all these different channels and enjoy this podcast. Hi, listeners. I am so excited because Farity is back as a sponsor this week. As you may know from listening to previous episodes, I am obsessed with Faraday and their clothing. I discovered this little store in the Pacific Palisades Village Mall in LA, and my husband Kyle and I just went crazy. They have amazing men's clothes and women's clothes that are so soft and great fabrics and colors and everything else, and I have been a fan for so long. So when they approached me to be um, a sponsor, I was like over the moon, Um, Um, They even did a little website for me on fairtybrand.com slash Zibby. So go to fairty, spelled F-A-H-E-R-T-Y, brand.com slash Zibby, and you get 25% off all their clothes, which I have definitely used, and I have to stop at this point, but I keep buying their cozy sweaters and dresses that go with leggings, and I have this turtleneck light sort of brownish Heather Gray, I'm not describing it very well, but anyway, um, dress-ish thing that I've been wearing almost every day. Um, Kyle wears these jackets slash polo, um, not polo, button-down shirts, um, sort of indoor-outdoor I mean, we're stuck in the house anyway right now. But anyway, you have to go get 25% off with code Zibby, com. Go check out their clothes. You'll see why I'm obsessed. I'm kind of sad to be revealing this little secret brand that I thought that we had only just discovered, but turns out a lot of people know about. And now you do too, so go check it out. And thanks, Farity, for being a sponsor. Michelle Buteau is the author of Survival of the Thickest. She is known as an actress for scene-stealing roles in The Circle, Always Be My Baby, First Wives Club, Someone Great, Russian Doll, and Tales of the City. She has also co-hosted two podcasts, Late Night Whenever and Adulting with Jordan Carlos, and recently recorded her one-hour Netflix stand-up special to be released later this year. In her collection of essays, she reflects on growing up Caribbean, Catholic, and thick in New Jersey, going to college in Miami, her many friendships and dating disasters, working as a newsroom editor during 9-11, getting started in stand-up, opening for male strippers, marrying into her husband's Dutch family, IVS and surrogacy, motherhood, chosen family, and what it feels like to have a full heart, tight jeans, and stardom finally in her grasp. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss survival of the thickest. I'm so excited to be talking
1: to you. I'm excited to be talked to.
0: <laughs> oh my gosh. For people who aren't familiar with your work, could you give us a little background on why you wrote this book and what it's essentially about? Ah,
1: what a loaded question. <laughs> well, uh, I've been doing stand-up damn near 20 years. I know I age really well. And so you know, I've sort of made the jump into acting and hosting and TV and film and all this really fun stuff. but you know, my true love is stand-up and I've been doing a lot of podcasts and storytelling shows and I realized, wow, there's other things I could share with people besides these like funny ha-ha sassy girl moments. And so especially after going through a five year battle of IVF to try and have children, you know it was really hard being the happy clown with big titties and freckles. and so, As I quietly was going through these really painful experiences, I was also out and about, you know, probably working the most I've ever worked. And so now that I feel like I am healed and on the other side of the mountain, I can look back at my experiences and my pain and my grief and properly write about it and share it because I'm realizing, you know, it's not about it's not about me. It's not about like how many, how long can I talk about myself? You know, I'm not like some like reality show, no shade to reality show, hoes, LOL. But I feel (laughs) like the more I share, like the more people feel less alone or just simply educated or, you know, there's a lot of like, that would never happen to me and then it does. And so I was like, wow, what happens, what would happen if I actually wrote a book? (laughs) And so I did and it was wild and it's so, I never want to read or write a book again. It is so much work. And especially, you know, I just remember taking care of teething twins who were about 10 months old, still had them in the same room, didn't separate them yet. Didn't even realize that was a thing I could do. And then I would go to set to work on a movie called Marry Me with J-Lo and just be in awe of like Owen Wilson and Sarah Silverman and be like, this is crazy. And then go to my trailer and try to get like an essay done. And I'm just like, what is this life? And then go home and, you know, go to the store to pick up baby Tylenol and just like keep it moving. And, you know, write this book when I like till I would fall asleep. And then I remember one night I even realized I had like shit stuck in my nail. And I'm like, God, Always Why crazy. is this mat like checking my, sh- like checking, the bu- like under my shoe? It's so dumb. Anyways, I don't even remember the question, but thank it's you so okay. much that for having
0: great. me. <laughs> <laughs> I also have, I have twins, by the way, who are now 13. Yes, it's true. Oh, I can't wait. Well, I mean, Pros and cons of every age, <laughs> but yes. I also did not realize that I should separate my twins and I kept them in the same room for a really long time. And then I finally, once they were like napping in beds, essentially, I was like, oh, okay, maybe I should split them up. So anyway, one of these million yeah. things you learn as you go.
1: Are they boy, girl? Are they,
0: who are they? Their boy girl, their 13 boy was first by a couple minutes and Lord sat over her head constantly. But yeah, I, you know, in reading and seeing your Instagram and all of this, it's like taking me back to the very beginning and it does get easier in some ways, a lot less physically demanding at least. So,
1: um. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I do feel like that I love Lucy episode where I'm just trying to keep all the chocolate on the conveyor belt. I'm just like, diapers. But yeah, I am looking forward to. I want to say I'm looking forward to them talking. But from what I hear,
0: <laughs> no, talking is good. Talking is good. Walking is good. There's a lot of great things coming <laughs> up. I feel like by the time you're here, it's more like psychological warfare that we have going on. But you know, but yes, being a twin mom, you know, people would be like, "Oh, but my kids are really close in age," so I get it. And I'm like, "No, you don't. Sorry." it's different just a little
1: different puerto rican twins irish twins yes 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 different
0: anyway okay go back to the ivf part and the pain and having to sort of mask the pain and keep on keeping on because this is something i find so fascinating how do you keep all of that emotion inside and just like come out of the trailer as you were saying or come out You know, head to work when all of that stuff is brewing inside. Did you always talk to your colleagues about it? Like, how did you process it? Did you write like personal journals? Like, how did you get through that period of time?
1: That's a good question. Now that you are talking about it, maybe I should have journaled. Maybe I should have talked to more people. I felt like I couldn't, though, because no one really knew what I was going through. So they're like, what do you mean hormones? What do you mean shots? What do you mean? that doesn't sound right. Like they would get defensive. Why are you doing that? Or just like, well, you know, what you should do is just eat clean or maybe you lose weight or maybe you don't work as much. And so I felt sort of attacked and shamed from people that I love who just simply didn't know or understand. And so it kind of felt like I was just in a marathon of an emotional cardio wind tunnel Where I'm just like, get the fuck through, get the fuck through. You will be a mom. This will happen, get through. Like, after the first miscarriage, I was like, heartbroken, but I'm like, let's go again. And I realized that was normal for my other friends who are talking to me about their miscarriages. And then by the third one, you're just like, okay, let's just wait a second. Let's just take a beat and like really figure out what's going on because maybe it's something other than, you know, nature takes care of itself type situation. And so, you know, I think because I was so busy, And had such a huge to-do list work-wise. I was able to sort of compartmentalize what uh, all that was going on. I'm like, okay, I'm going to LA to pitch the show I just wrote. They're interested in it. Fly yourself out, get a doctor's note, get the needles, get the this, get the progesterone fucking suppositories. And it just became like my life and my to-do list. And then I would cry over like the weirdest things. Like, you know, somebody would cut me off on the road or, you know my Uber driver didn't feel comfortable with me putting my window down and I would just like cry or my husband would like leave crumbs from his sandwich on the countertop. And I'd be like, I want a divorce. And I'm like, Oh, or maybe it's the hormones. And so it was crazy. And then as I started working more, you know, I started giving zero fucks and that's when I really started to book when people are like, wow, she's so edgy. And I'm just like, no, I'm broken. But I will definitely wear the statement lip. And so when I would like improv a scene, it would be ridiculous. And then I would just like start crying, even though I'm just like, you got suck as dick. Like I'd be saying the most dumb things, but crying because like I didn't know how to manage all that was going on. But it really kind of like weirdly resonated with people. They were like, oh, meh, me, like, even my first Wife's Club audition, which was over Skype because Tracy Oliver the creator and producer was in LA and I was in New York. And she was like, look, you know, your husband who you've known since college has cheated on you finally. And, you know, you you've are coming to terms with it now. You guys are going to therapy. You feel broken. And you're trying to put yourself together every day for your two kids. And I'm just like, oh my God, that's all she needs to say. And then like waterworks, she's like phenomenal acting. I'm just like, I got to go to the bathroom and so on and so forth. So to be honest, I don't know how I manage, you know, in life anyways, I'm like day by day. And now, you know, with toddling twins during quarantine and still working, I'm like hour by hour. Yes, that's all you can do. Go back
0: to what you said about being edgy versus being broken. Tell me more about that. How do you know which one you are? How do you, what causes what? Tell me about them.
1: I mean, I guess again, it's a case by case basis, but you know, everyone has their opinion of you and like, and you know, you could walk in a room and feel ugly, but people see a confident person and you never know what you're giving off or what people see. Right. And so people are like, Whoa, I can't believe you said that. And I'm like, Yeah, because I don't care if you like me or not. You know, I just don't care if you like me or not. I know that I'm actually better than this and this project and this material. And so it did help me in a way where I'm just like, I just want to go home and cry right now. So let's just get this shit over with. But I was also so happy to have things to go to because that sort of like gave me a sense of normalcy. Like life is still going on. Like if I didn't have anywhere to go. I don't even know what I would be like. And it also gave me a sense of, damn, bitch, you can get stuff done, which is probably why I decided to write a book. I don't, <laughs> so stupid, so no, stupid.
0: I, I mean, a lot of the book though, goes all the way back. Like you take us all through your life and being raised by your parents and your friend, and like all the little things that happen to sort of make you you. And you go into that in in a lot of depth. And so I don't want to like mislead that the book is all about IVF or anything like that. And you have a lot also about your body in this book and your relationship to your body and your family's relationship. There was this one passage I wanted to read with your dad. You said there was this one time when I was about 15 and my father said to me, stop eating pasta in front of your boyfriend and you should lose 20 pounds because then you'd be so beautiful. I stopped right there. I told him off. I said, I'm beautiful no matter what, 20 pounds or not. And if someone is going to love me, they are gonna love me for me. His look changed immediately. And he said, That's my girl.
1: <laughs> Isn't there a better way? Do we have to be G I Jane right now at the dinner table, Dad? It's too much. <laughs> oh my gosh. So how did you
0: how do you feel about, you know, you're you're very open about your relationship with your body. Tell me how you feel about it now, especially after having twins.
1: Well, I didn't have twins, right? So I had a surrogate. And for me, I was like, how am I going to feel taking care of these babies? if I didn't carry them and that lasted for like five minutes. Cause I'm just like, Oh no, they are mine. And I am theirs. And she is a part of our village and extended family, chosen family, which is amazing. And
0: I'm so sorry. I totally knew that. And I remember reading all that and I don't know why I said that. So I apologize, but I didn't know no, that. that's you okay.
1: Know no, on. that's okay. No, I still feel like a warrior princess because I went through five years of fucking crazy, rigid, hormone taking, you know, spreading your legs three times a week to get tested, blood three times a week. Like, I I feel like I've done it all. So, but, you know, to get back to what you were saying, I mean, I did gain weight during IVF and I was so used to it by then, fluctuating, because I have been since I was 11, that I'm like, you know, it is what it is and I'll do what I can. I didn't get that overnight, you know, I developed quite quickly. And, you know, I talk about, you know, wanting a banana seat bike for my birthday, my 12th birthday. And I ended up with like woman sized tits and to get unwanted attention from older men is gross. And to be shamed by older women is also, you know, really disgusting. And I feel like we have to help kids kind of shape who they are in a positive way and that our bodies are all different and that there isn't one way to look or be. And that's okay. And also how to speak up for themselves. Like, yes, definitely respect your elders. Say please and thank you, but you don't have to take people's criticism. That's wild. And I think that was the hardest part actually writing the book was trying not to make it sound like I was mad at my parents, you know, because there was a lot of shame from them to not, stick out my chest. But I'm like, I'm standing up straight. You told me to stand up straight my whole life. Or why are you wearing that? I'm still wearing the same thing I've always worn. It's just, this is how my body is. By the way, every woman in my family looks like this. Like, why all of a sudden is it a thing? And so, you know, for me, well, it definitely survival of the thickest in terms of like having a thick body, but also not shaming people for who they are or what they want in life. That is like, I hope a takeaway, whether it's, Wanting to be with multiple partners to figure out, you know, like their Julia Roberts and like Runaway Bride, how they like their eggs, you you know? I refer to that scene all the time.
0: All the time. Thank you! Like, I'm so glad you said that. I I think about that all the time. I I mention it to people. Yeah. Yes. So true. Thank you.
1: Nobody ever understands. I'm just like... What? No, it's like one of my favorite scenes. Thank you. And I just feel like... Like, where are they now? Like, her and... Is it Richard? What's his name again with the gray hair? Yeah. Richard Gear. No. Oh, my God. I was going to say Richard Marks. That's where my brain is at. <laughs> it is Richard Gere. They should get together and do something else when they're, like... They're going to be, like, cool grandparents. Grand, yeah, the grandparents, They'll be, like, the new Diane. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Without the white ribbed turtlenecks. But, yes. You know,
0: I, I do think, though, that girls developing early is something that n- that not enough is said about, I mean, like I, I mean, not that I should be revealing this, but like I was definitely wearing a bra by the time I was 10 and I've like never felt comfortable in that regard ever since. Like I, my mom yeah. did my bra and I hid between all the robes in the store and I was like, I don't want anyone to see me. Like, yeah, Aww. no, but I feel like, and with you too, like age 12, like you're um, like you're not necessarily ready for that. And how do you then deal with your body the rest of your life when something it's, it's almost as if there's this something that's out of your control from the minute you get going. Right. And you're struggling to catch up afterward ever since.
1: Yeah. Not only are you struggling to catch up, but you also want to fit in because you're at that age where you don't want to be different. And then, you know, you become a teenager, a young adult, and everyone has a different relationship with sexuality. And because we were religious, it was just like shame on shame on shame on shame on shame. But I knew deep down inside that, you know, I want to be this happy, vivacious, sassy, let's see what it looks like naked person. But, you know, those people sounded like mean and bad people. And then when I finally moved away and had sex, I was like, no, this is great. This is amazing. And there's nothing wrong with that. At all. In fact, it was like a great lesson in sort of speaking up for what I wanted, whether it was dating somebody casual or we were serious or whatever it was. It's like, oh my God, there's no classes in school that will tell you how to speak up for yourself. At least when I was going to school, I don't know about now, there's like a class for everything, but... (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's, I think it's a wonderful lesson. And I feel like, wow, you know, I'm in comedy, they always tell you to learn from the good and the bad, like learn from when someone's killing on stage and when someone's just dying, which is very violent. Now that I'm saying that out loud. But I feel like the same could be said from your childhood experiences.
0: Do you feel like when you were writing the book? that it always had to be funny? Like, did you, as a comedian, do you feel like I better make this section funny or how do I I turn this piece? Because a lot of it was very funny, but a lot of it was, there was pain beneath some of the humor, right? So how did you, in terms of tone?
1: I mean, I couldn't answer that. I was just truly like, these are the stories I want to share, get it done on paper, because it's so, it's easier to do a show or host a dinner party or a storytelling show and just talk it out but to put it in print I'm just like you know all over the place and as I am on stage I'm just like what's the beginning middle and end and so I never thought about being funny because I feel like that's there no matter what even the way I describe something everyone's just like who the fuck and I was like me that's how I describe it (laughs) you know like emotional cardio is the only cardio I'll be doing everyone's like who says that me bitch so like I already knew it'd be funny but I also knew that I want to share these more painful, more sincere moments. Yeah. I I was just like, get it done. You know, that's been a big thing for me. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it's just got to get done. And why did you say that this
0: is like the worst thing you've ever done and that you would never want to
1: write? Well, I mean, again, it's like the hours, the sheer hours that it takes to write something. Is crazy, and when for me at least, I have like every hour booked in my life in my day. I even have like an hour to relax. If I do, like I will say, I'm I'm gonna go in this dark room. It's usually in my closet, and I just let me do my thing. So it was just an added thing that I had to put in the schedule of already crazy, and then also I'm just sort of be vulnerable in a way that I never had before, like. It feels like what if I just made an album, a singing album, and I'm like, okay, Christina Aguilera, listen to this. It's like I'm not a I'm not a writer. Like I've written like TV's and punch ups and shit. Like is like so much different than an an author. I can't even say author. So yeah, and then like the edits where you have to like go back and read it, and then like the notes where someone else says, read it! It's so crazy. It does feel like you are fully frontally fucking naked, getting a pap smear in Times Square. Wow. That would not be. <laughs> I have
0: my best things to do. <laughs> so yeah, I can see why you wouldn't want to do it again. So, and I know how busy you must be because we scheduled this at like 10, 15. And I'm like, that is a really busy person who's scheduling things on the quarter hour. <laughs>
1: like, anyway. I know. Well, I'm in England right now. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm in Manchester off the record. Is that how you say it? Sure. Filming The Circle, which is a show I host on Netflix. And so it films in England. And so I managed to bring the kids and our nanny with us because I'm here for six weeks. Well, two more weeks, four weeks down. Wow. Can't wait to
0: go home. At least you got to travel. I feel like there's been no travel allowed for so long. But anyway... Yeah. So what is coming yeah. next? You're always doing a million things and now you've got this book launch on top of everything. So what, what is like your next year? Do you have any idea? Like, what's it looking like for you? You have so much.
1: Well, first of all, shout out to whatever dog just shook themselves. I, know, I love it. I'm so shake. sorry. I am so no, sorry. No, I love it. I have a lab mastiff. And so lab. she shakes lab like mastiff. a pony. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs) What's next? I feel like something is next, but I don't remember. But you know, I'm also like for once in a long time, not living in the what's next, what's next. I'm just like, this is dope. Let's just enjoy this. Like I'm not hooked up to a ventilator. I've just dropped some really important black joy content. That I've worked really hard to put together sucks that there's a quarantine but also amazing that people are enjoying it within like a pandemic and a race revolution fucking bananas. And so I think for me, you know, I really enjoy acting and hosting and all the above. I really also enjoy being the bridesmaid, but I can't wait to be the bride.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. So what advice would you have to aspiring authors? And don't say, like, don't write the book, because it has to be a little more positive
1: than that. Oh, my goodness. Well, I said it already. I mean, don't worry about it being perfect. It doesn't have to be perfect. It just has to be done. You can always go back and edit. But, you know, I think that and also don't do whatever you think people want to hear. That's whack you know, do what you are passionate about. And that could be anything. It could be knitting or snails or beaches or, you know, whatever time in your life, or just a collection of like essays and short stories. It doesn't have to, no one, no one is Stephen King out the damn gate. Very true. Start somewhere. That was like more than one piece of advice, but here we are.
0: You know, people can need all the advice they can get. I think that's awesome. (laughs) Well, thank you, thank you for talking about your book. It was so good and so funny, and a really refreshing style. I mean, you just like, whew, you know, tell it like it is.
1: And I mean, no choice. I know. I was like, I'm trying to like go through the essays and like figure out what I want to do as a promo video, and I'm just like, what? Who was re- like, you know, if your relationship stinks like fish, is probably extra pussy. Like that's something I wrote. I'm someone's mom. I'm a good person. Anyway, <laughs> well, Nice to meet you. Nice to
0: meet you. Best of luck with the launch and everything else. And I was so nice to share some time with you today.
1: Likewise. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks again to Farity for being a sponsor today. Go to FarityBrand.com slash and get 25% off. Enter code Zibby for 25% off these amazing, comfy winter clothes and summer, but for now winter, and you will thank me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at zibbyowens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music.